Well, here it is, 2020. It's a brand new year, blank slate, fresh start. The word resolution is a word that gets thrown around a lot during this time of year. I don't think we use this word too often in our everyday vocabulary, except for at the beginning of January. Maybe you've made a resolution, and I'm not even going to ask you what it is. Perhaps it's to eat better, work out more, stop spending so much, watch TV less, quit a bad habit, read more. Whatever it is, there's often this negative, negative thing that's attached to it. It seems like a mountain because you want to eat sugar. The workout is really hard. You don't need another set of earrings or a hat or shoes, but at that sale price, it's so hard. No wonder only 8% of people who make a New Year's resolution will keep them, according to a study from the University of Scranton. In fact, in that same study, researchers were able to pinpoint the day in which your resolution will die. And that day is January 12th. This time next week, you are likely have to cheated on your resolution. But there's something behind resolutions. We make these resolutions because we want something more for ourselves. We dream of more. I mean, I want to be a better spouse, a better parent, a better student, to, to be in better health, create a better life, impact others around me. This dream that we have for ourselves is what's behind it. But by January 12th, we find our resolution laying on a pile of many of our other dreams. And each time we fail, a little bit of hope seeps out of our dreams that they will never truly happen. But hopefully you haven't lost your purpose. Because life is a series of moments. And some moments are insignificant, mundane, routine moments that five minutes from now you will forget. While other moments are unforgettable. Moments that have left a mark on your soul. I'll never forget standing at the altar of the church as I, as I got the same church that I got saved in as my bride emerged through the double doors at the back. And for me in that moment, the world stopped. I mean, I lost all awareness of anyone else in the room. She was beautiful. She was stunning. And she wanted to spend the rest of her life with me. I'll never forget the moment that I got to hold both my children for the first time. Jen was in labor with Mason for so long, and then they made the decision to do an emergency C-section. I remember as they wheeled her off, she was in pain, and as they led me into this room, they, they asked me to put these scrubs on and get ready to come into the operating room. And I found myself in this moment where I just sat there by myself. And it was so emotional. We were both tired, and I was just sitting there by myself just sobbing. I was scared, but I was feeling more for her. Then time completely stopped when they placed that baby boy in my arms. Janelle's birth was less eventful but not less special. These are moments that are permanently impressed on your brain. With the birth of both my kids, they were put inside an incubator that had a little card that had their stats. An incubator kind of looked like one of those uh, warming lamps at Wendy's for the burgers kind of thing. And it said their full names, it told of their weight, told of their height. There were extensive records that showed that they were born, but nothing that said why they were born. What is their purpose? What is God's plan for them? Well, Mark Twain once quoted, he said this, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born 
and the day you find out why. It's so easy to get stuck in a rut. It's so easy to settle for something less than what God has called you to. It's so easy to make excuses about not going after your purpose. We tell ourselves things like this. I'm, I'm just too old. I'm too young. I'm not talented enough. God wants to use someone else. But if you read through the Bible, you'll discover that God never disqualifies you because of blank. Whatever your blank is. He prepares you, but he will not disqualify you. So at APA, we want to be the kind of church that encourages your God-given dreams. We want you to be the church that challenges you not to settle. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon, who is known as the wisest man to ever live, Solomon writes in Proverbs 29:18, he says this, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. And if you're honest, there's probably seasons where you were here. You felt like you had no clarity. You felt disconnected from God's purpose. And you maybe jumped around from relationship to relationship or job to job. Or you set numerous goals that you never saw through and you just found yourself floundering. And then he goes on to say, but when they attend to what he reveals, in other words, when you care about what God cares about, when the dream you have for your life is in sync with the dream God has for you, he says, they are most blessed. You see, God's desire for you and me is to see with clarity what his plan, what his purpose, what his dream is for you and I. And when you do, you go after with all your heart. And when you do, you will be blessed. The truth is, many people float through day, life day after day, not being able to make sense of life, and settling for the mundane, settling for normal, settling for a, working, for, for a job, working at a job that they hate during the day, and then they binge watch TV at night, and then get intoxicated on the weekend to forget about the rest of the week. Or maybe you're in a rut where you, you know you truly aren't reaching your potential. You know that you've settled for less than God made you for. We want to be the kind of church that comes alongside you as you discover what you were designed to do. Let me ask you a question. How would you live differently if you believed that God was completely in control? How would you give up your time, your finances? What would be different if you truly believed that God was in control? Now let me take this a step further. How would you dream differently if you believed that God was in control? See, what many of us do is fight with God for control. And I want you to consider, as we unfold this series, how you can co-author your life with God. For you to be able to say, God, what are you doing? What are you hoping to accomplish? And what role do I play in all of that? And when you do that, you become the type of person that is a glass of water for the thirsty. You become the type of person that lives with purpose. You become the type of person who doesn't slink through life, but attack each day. I think many people have traded God's dream for the Canadian dream. And I want to challenge you that there is so much more. What I want for you, what I want for me, is to be able to lay my head on my pillow and more often than not think, now that was a day worth living. And this is how to live a life that actually matters. When you talk to people about what a, a life well lived looks like, there's this term that comes up over and over. And the term is, bucket list. 
A bucket list is a list of things that you would like to accomplish or places you'd like to visit before you die. It's kind of a neat idea. And many people will float through life without any goals, any dreams, and suddenly 20 years have gone by and you don't know what to do, what to do with what you've done with them. Here's what I want you to do over the next four weeks. I want you to grab a pen and paper and write down, not just keep them in your head, but actually write down a dream list. Not a bucket list, because bucket list sounds too desperate. Like, you know, like I have to accomplish these things before, before my end time. But I want you to write down a list of places you'd like to visit, goals you want to accomplish, and then I want you to begin to pray over the list and see how many God would put his initials beside. This is an exercise I plan on doing myself. A dream list. I've always had a couple. I would love to visit Israel at some point and see with my own eyes the scenes of the Bible. I've always wanted to watch a tennis match at Wimbledon in England. Jen and I have always wanted to do a Mediterranean cruise, which, if you were here for a previous sermon, I talked about how Jen and I entered a Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day radio station kissing contest to try and win it for our honeymoon. That didn't go so well. But there are other things on that list. And some of those things on my dream list involve this church. So build your list. Some of the things on that list might be fun. Maybe it's a place you've always wanted to visit. Maybe it's riding in a hot air balloon. But as you create your list and you pray over your list, you're going to discover that as it lines up with God's heart and God's plan for you, there are some goals on that list that aren't just fun, but heaven-minded. As you build this list, ask God, what are your dreams for me? Ask him to reveal those things for you. As you build that list, though, you'll need to pray over the list and see if there's anything on it that flies in the face of God's dream for you. For example, if your goal is to make $10 million, but it's at the expense of your family, it's safe to say that God's not signing off on that one. This morning, as we talk about dreams, it's hard when you think of Scripture, not to think of Joseph. Not Jesus' dad, Joseph, but Joseph from the Old Testament. In Genesis 39, verse 2, it says this about Joseph. And if you have your Bibles, you can flip, flip there. If you don't, it'll be up here on the screen. Genesis 39, verse 2 says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Now this is where I could easily lose a bunch of you. Because this sounds like I'm about to tell you that if God is with you, you will end up rich and have every desire you ever wanted. Trust me, I am not going there. I don't believe that. Because it's possible for God to allow you to prosper, but maybe not in line with the definition that culture would have. Because the next line says this, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. He prospered while he was a slave. He was the property of someone else. He had dreams that God had given him, and yet he prospered and worked towards accomplishing those dreams while he was a slave to someone else. Which leads back to that question. If you truly believe that God is in control, how does that change how you dream? When things aren't going the way you, that you had it mapped out in your head, do you pack up the dream and put it away, or do you trust God is in control? The next verse says this, verse 3. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. See, when you have a dream that lines up with the will of God and God's in it, people will take notice. They may not understand it, but they will take notice. A number of years ago, 
Jen and I were living in a, a larger house um, back in Whitby. And Jen was in real estate. I was working in uh, a lower-end school. And Jen had this, this, this dream, not a dream, this vision of this isn't where we're supposed to be. We were in this neighborhood where uh, parents were kind of neglecting their kids because they were working so hard to keep these houses, uh, keep the houses and all the nice things they had. And, and Jen just looked at me and said, this is not where God ever wanted us to be. She said, I actually think we need to sell our house and move into the area where your school is. Again, very, very low-income area. And I think we need to open our house as a drop-in center. And I, I kind of laughed it off a little bit because we just had a shooting there the week before. And so we went to bed that night, and a couple nights later, we're laying in bed, and she says, I can't shake this. I think we need to do this. And so we went ahead and sold our house. Like, we were only there for about six, eight months. We sold the house, and we bought a, a townhome across the street from the school, right in the mix of it. And I remember when I did it, I remember going into the staff room and there was whispers and rumors going around that people not understanding why would we possibly ever move into like the lowest income area in all of Oshawa. See, they didn't have this, this idea of what God was doing in our lives. And the, the rumors were that maybe Jen's real estate business had kind of dropped off and, and, and this was all we could afford now. But you see, when... God puts a dream on your heart. People will take notice, but they may not always understand it. Now, what I want to do is go back and look at the beginning of Joseph's life. And as we progress through this series, we'll look at Joseph's life. We'll begin in Genesis 30, chapter 37, in verse 3. And it says this, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. Now, we need to stop here for a moment. Because there's so much backstory to this. Israel, this man, loves Joseph more than his other sons. We meet Israel in the book of Genesis. And we, we meet, when we meet him, his name is Jacob. His name literally, literally means deceiver. His past is kind of checkered. He steals the birthright of his older brother by deceiving his brother and father. But he now begins to turn things around later in life. And we later find him at the house of a man named Laban, his uncle. And he falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. The Bible says that he's captured by her. He finds her beautiful, and he is awestruck. I mean, if you've ever seen a guy in love, their senses just kind of go out the window. They will do the dumbest things to impress a girl that they are in love with. I remember one time, Jen and I were dating, and we went mini-golfing. And a few holes in, I think it was Jen, it was probably Jen, hit her ball and it skipped over the barrier of the hole and across the grass and out aside a small chain link fence. So wanting to impress her, I tell, tell her, hey, don't worry, I got this. So I want to kind of impress her with my athletic prowess. So I take a run at the fence and I try to jump it like a gazelle, hop over it. At least that was what was supposed to happen. Instead, I don't quite clear it. My shoelace gets caught in the top, and I face plant on the other side. And I can hear laughter from her, but the laughter just intensifies as I look up, and she's standing beside me because 
she's picking up her ball, and there was a gate right beside where I jumped. There's something in the brain that shuts off when a guy is in love. And this is where Jacob is. He's working for Laban, and Laban wants to pay him for his work. And so Jacob makes a deal that he'll work seven years in exchange for Rachel as his wife. Now, there's not many girls worth working seven years for. My wife is one. But seven years is a long time. But he says, fine, seven years will fly by because I'm so in love. So he worked for seven years in the sun and dirt. And when the seven years is up, he had completed his end of the bargain. And now Rachel has an older sister named Leah. Now where the Bible describes Rachel as being beautiful, the only thing it says about Leah is that she had poor eyesight. Now, I have to wonder how good Jacob's eyesight was because the Bible says that after the wedding, the next morning, Jacob wakes up, rolls over, and discovers he isn't married to Rachel. He's married to Leah. Laban has tricked Jacob. The older daughter is supposed to be married first, and now Jacob's mad. But he strikes a deal with Laban that if he works seven more years, he gets Rachel. So because he loved her, he works the next seven years. That's 14 years in total to get the girl he really wanted. So we go back to Genesis 37. And Jacob now has 12 sons. Ten sons from Leah, the girl he didn't love, and two from Rachel, who he adored. And Joseph is the firstborn from Rachel and holds this special place in his heart. And it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And he gives him the name Joseph, which means dreamer. And then it says, Because he had been born to him in his old age. You see, Rachel was thought to have been unable to have children. For years, she was not able to get pregnant. And later in life, when it seemed like all hope was lost, she gives birth to Joseph, miracle baby to the girl he loved. And then it says, and he made an ornate robe for him. Other translations refer to this as the coat of many colors. Maybe you've heard of the Broadway show Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat. Now, the translation for the Hebrew word here is difficult to translate to English. So we don't know if it truly has many colors or if it was just very elegant. But it is striking and it is symbolic. The coat represents Jacob's favoritism. Imagine having 12 kids and at Christmas time giving them all socks except one who gets a bike. Well, that's basically what's happening here. Verse 4 says this, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Now, I'm thinking right now, Joseph, buddy, you're not that great at gauging the temperature of the room or taking any social cues because they're angry at you right now, but he proceeds to tell them about his dream. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed to it. He's like, you see, guys, I imagine myself being the center of the universe and you all bow down to me. And as you can imagine, this went over real well with the brothers. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and what he had said. 
again. Joseph, read the room, pal. But he doesn't because he just pours it on in verse 9. Then he heard another dream. He, He had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brother, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. See, any family with brothers and sisters, there's always a little bit of tension. There's always some jockeying to be the favorite, but in a good family, there are no favorites. And the tension against Joseph is so thick. So one day his father tells Joseph, Go out and see if his brothers, who are out working, are okay and report back to me. So Joseph decides, hmm, let me put on my special coat for this trip. Joseph. Verse 17 says, So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Now let me ask you a question. How angry would you have to be at a relative to want to kill them? Now, I realize I'm asking this question about a week and a half after Christmas, and maybe this idea is all too real after all those family gatherings. But to truly want to go this far. But the brothers see Joseph in the distance, and he's wearing the coat that reminds them how much their dad, is, dad plays favoritism to him, and they are beyond angry. Verse 19, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now. Let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their their hands. Hey, let's not take his life, he said. So Reuben, one of the brothers, steps up and says, Hey guys, do we really want to murder someone? Do we really want blood on our hands? I think I have a better idea. Verse 22, don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness. Don't lay a hand on him, Reuben said. He said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and I'm sure they loved that. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Now, a cistern is different than a well. It was a a flat hole dug deep into the ground to hold water for animals to drink from. They would pack mud on the sides, and then they would, kind of, they would kind of seal it with clay and so that it could keep water. And, the, and this one that they have right now is close, to, is close to empty, so it's basically impossible to climb out of. Verse 25 says, As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. When, that's when they got an idea. Hey, let's sell him and make some money and not have the guilt of his death and take his robe back to father, dip it in blood from a goat, and we'll just tell him that we found this. Verse 32 says, They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. They can't imagine the grief Jacob felt. His miracle child the firstborn of the woman he truly loved, killed. Meanwhile, Joseph was sold into slavery, never to be seen again. 
but the Lord was with Joseph. Back to the original question. Do you trust God when trusting God doesn't make sense? See, Joseph, whose future looked bright, his dreams were exciting, was betrayed by his own brothers, left for dead, then sold to be a slave. Likely beaten, stripped down, and put on a slave block to be bid on. Ultimately ending up in the house of Potiphar. Like, when do you hang up your dream? I want to leave you with three points before I wrap up from this story. I'll invite the worship team to, to join me as I wrap up. But number one, God has a coat for all of his children. See, the coat represents the Father's favor for us. You are his child and are highly favored by him. He has dreams for you and he wants you to discover your destiny. He doesn't want you to walk with arrogance, but he wants you to walk with confidence that you are loved and he has big dreams for you. It also means this. It means that there are no favorites. What this story reveals is that there's a lie. That if you do good things, only good things will happen. Or if you do bad things, bad things will happen. Now, of course, there's a principle of reaping and sowing over the course of time. You'll reap the rewards or consequences of your actions. But sometimes, sometimes you just have a bad day. Sometimes things just happen. Sometimes you're given a special rope, and other times you find yourself trying to climb out of a cistern. There are no favorites. It also means you have permission to dream out loud. You see, Joseph made the mistake. He told the wrong people at the wrong time. But you need people that you can dream out loud with. People that support you and love you and come around you to help you dream, your dream come true. Number two, every dream worth dreaming will face opposition. The world is full of people that gave up on their dreams at one point or another. And it's easy then to become skeptical. It's easy to see someone else with a dream and tell them all the ways it will never work because it didn't work for me. Any dream worth dreaming is going to face opposition. And if the dream you're dreaming doesn't have any opposition, I have to question how big it is and how much faith it actually requires. See, if you have small dreams, like my dream is to watch every episode of Murdoch Mysteries, I mean, who really cares? But if you dream, if your dream doesn't make any sense logically, like it will require a small miracle, when you dream God-sized dreams, you will have critics. Good. Keep pushing. When you face opposition, smile. It means you're doing something right. And number three, the pit is brief, but the story is long. At some point, the story isn't going to unfold the way you imagined. At some point, you're going to feel like it's time to give up. Remember that the pit is brief, but the story is long. Your story is longer than you realize. That pit is just a small percentage. I used to tell students this all the time. Maybe you're not loving high school. Maybe it seems like it will never end, but high school is four years out of 80. That's like 5% of your life. And when you're in it, you can feel, it can feel like a cistern. It can feel like there's no way to climb out of it. But there's 95% more of the story. When you're in the pit, 
when you get fired from the job, when the relationship crumbles, when you lose the house, when your finances fall apart, when you lose a loved one and the dream seems dead, it feels like this is it. God, did you drag me out here and leave me in the cistern to die? But we have the privilege of seeing Joseph's whole story. We view the pit as such a small part. You need some perspective. Don't give up on your dream because you're in a pit. Because the pit is brief, but the story is long. Spoiler alert, but we'll work through this story during the series, but in the end, Joseph is given a powerful, powerful position in Egypt. A position that will save a nation and ultimately see his brothers and father bow down before him. But there's no way as he sat in the cistern could he ever have predicted that God was at work and that his dream would come to see light again. And maybe, just maybe, there is a God that is in control and loves you and is preparing you in your pit for something bigger. Maybe he is developing your character and tenacity to handle the outcome of your dream. The pit is short, but the story is long. Do you believe that God is fully in control in your life? How would you dream different if you believe that? Will you dream with me during this series? Will you open yourself up to allow God to co-author your life using the great seasons, but also using the seasons of tragedy and sorrow? I want you to open yourself up. I want you to dream again. And if you've shelved your dream, I want you to pull it back off the shelf. I want you to dust it off. And I want you to dream again.